Good morning. Um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, one of the things the people who disciple me and um, the folks who uh, who teach me have been teaching me is to not ignore, just be authentic and be real. I'm heavy. And I don't know if it's just me, but there's just a heaviness that feels like it's sitting on us. And what the Lord has for us in the scriptures today is far too important to let a spirit of heaviness rob us of that. So would you mind just taking a moment to sit before the Lord? You do that however you need to do it. Um, And let's quietly ask the Holy Spirit to pour out His fruit on us. Can we do that for just a moment? Would you indulge me? I need it. This is for me. It's not for you, but it may be for you. And if it's for you, you receive it. Let's just ask for that from him. Amen. Amen. Uh, Today, we're going to continue our course of sermons called Life and Teaching. Our aim is to equip you, Three Rivers Church, to live well in the public square as competent ambassadors of the kingdom of God. A brother this week, not a member of our church, he's a local pastor, sent me a very long text I share with my family. And these are these moments where you just realize and know the only way people can pray this kind of stuff is if the Lord tells them. Or he's got a camera hidden somewhere on my person. (laughs) Or a listening device. Hey, Hey, who knows? And it's moments like that that you realize we really are in a battle. We really are in a battle. Today we're talking about the question, what is creation? It's evident, unless you're absolutely living with your head stuck in the sand. Something isn't right. Our souls, our bodies, um, our world is desperately hurting. A dark cloud of all manner of things that creates chaos and hardship and difficulty and misunderstanding and miscommunication. Like our, all of life is all about overcoming the chaos of things that don't work. And that's why you have a job, is there is a need that needs addressing, and someone has been 
and the creative genius of God been given a gift to be able to oversee and manage something large enough to bring people together to address it. And you fit in that somewhere unless you're the person who created the mechanism by which other people fit into to address the problem. And everybody's vocation is all about repairing something out of order. If we don't ask and answer the question, what is creation? We're going to be woefully lacking in a robust Christian worldview. Now, you guys know if you've been on Three Rivers long enough, I will not rob you of content. This sermon is long. <laughs> and... Um, Evangelical culture is rotting because of 15, 20-minute sermons that are lacking any kind of content that matters whatsoever other than an invitation to get saved again. Well, praise God. But what about if we're saved and we're trying to make something? <laughs> Listen, can I just be honest with you? It ain't going to happen in 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. Okay? Let's be honest. I mean... But that, that I'll tell you, it'll sell, but it ain't going to help you. So I'm not going to rob you this morning. I'm going to give you the words of life, not because they're my words, but because they come from God's word. Paul told Timothy, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in them. Because in doing this, you save both yourself and your hearers. And that's, Wow. So our lives and our teaching are inextricably intertwined. We, we live out what we actually believe. And we teach lessons and words and actions that reflect what we believe. And that grieves my heart. Creation and the Bible's record of creation form the framework of a Christian understanding of all things. We didn't do this one first. Uh, because we need to start with the Bible, right? I mean, we go all the way back to the beginning of life and teaching. Where do we get our stuff from? Like, can we just make stuff up? Well, no, it has to come from a source that claims to be true. And that's what the Bible tells us it is. So I say that to say creation likely could have been number two that we talk about, but we need to make sure a few other things are in place first. I, I don't know that there will be a more important piece of your worldview than what we're going to talk about this morning, creation. Because it forms the framework for a robust Christian understanding of all things. In fact, what the Bible says about creation should give us a blueprint of what the kingdom of God is actually restoring in people when God saves them. And in the entire creation around us as he restores it. Having a grasp on what creation is should help us live with a more keen sight set on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So it matters that we have a clear understanding of who created, what he created, and the purpose for which he created it. So here's my definition I give you. These notes are available to you on the blog at theologyinthedirt.com. This is my crafted definition. You can probably tell that. Like when I quote somebody, like, oh, that's smooth. Sounds good. And when I write stuff, you're like, oh, it's choppy. You always tell, you can tell if I ever start robbing people and plagiarizing, you'll know. You'll know and you can hold me accountable. Like, that's too well written. <laughs> uh, this is clearly mine. 
So, and I footnote anyway, but anyhow. Creation is what the God of the Bible did alone with no help from any other being because he alone exists eternally. The God of the Bible created all things from nothing. He needs no substance or other beings to create. God calls into existence whatever he desires by his word. The God of the Bible created everything for his own pleasure, purpose, and glory. That's my little definition. So what we're going to do is we're going to read Colossians 1, 15 to 17 together. And then I've got 11 observations from all over the Bible. And Colossians is going to kick us off. So it's going to be on the screen. So if you'll stand, we're going to read it together. Colossians 1, 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. This is the word of the Lord. Three of us church, you can be seated. Thank you. Colossians contains some of the most beautiful Christology in all the Bible, teaching us who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished. There's a few quick, these are not part of the 11, but they're, they're going to kick us off into how we're going to ask and answer the question, what is creation? We see very clearly in the Apostle Paul's words here, that he's obviously very familiar with Genesis and the creation account of Genesis. He tells us here that Jesus is the creator of Genesis 1 and 2, which is why we go back to who is God the Father, who is Jesus, who is Holy Spirit. Because the Bible tells us that the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three distinct persons, is creator. And Paul specifically tells us here that Jesus is that creator God. Not only did he tell us that Jesus did it, he also tells us Jesus is the means for the Father and the Spirit to create. Notice the language. Very, very clearly stated, all things have been created through him. So he's the creator. And you go back to Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, and who was hovering over the deep? Holy Spirit. So what we learn here is not only did Jesus create... Jesus is the means by which the Father and the Spirit create too. Wow. Listen, there's no way around the distinct uniqueness of the God of the Bible. He just, he stands above all. He stands above all. And there's a weight of glory in that I hope you feel. That this isn't debatable. This is reality. So Jesus is the means by which the Father and the Spirit create. And then the Trinitarian God created it for Jesus. Notice the end of Paul's language. All things have been created through him and for him. We were created for him. And apart from him we find no meaning, no purpose, no fulfillment. And apart from him we will die and spend an eternity under his judgment. We're created for him. This earth was created for him. It's not mine to do with what I want. It's his. My task. While he 
has gone in Jesus' parable away for a while to gather unto himself a kingdom. He's given me some talents. He's given me a creation to steward. And he'll come again and he'll ask me, what did you do with that? So all of this is his. We are his. And he's entrusted this to us to care for and to multiply and steward. With the whole Bible as our interpretive framework, from Colossians 1, 15 to 17, the whole Bible, what can we conclude this morning? What can we conclude about who created, what he created, and the purpose for which he created? Well, here's number one, and it's going to be a, a little bit of a doozy. Um, and it's really going to set the foundation for us. Creation and created intent is the foundation for a distinctly Christian worldview. Creation and created intent is the foundation for a distinctly Christian worldview. Genesis, the beginning, sets for us not a completed Christology, not a completed pneumatology, not a completed theology, but Genesis starts with creation. Creation is absolutely vital for the Christian worldview. So we need to ask a question on the front end, what exactly is a worldview? And I'm, next first Sunday in April, I'm going to unpack these eight questions that help us develop a worldview. Um, and we'll apply them to creation. But what's a worldview? Why does it matter? And why do we start Genesis with this? Well, the worldview is a fundamental framework from which we view and make sense of all of life in the world around us. It's quite literally how we view the entirety of everything around us. In order for a worldview to be complete, it has to ask and answer eight questions. I'm going to run through them like Jehu through the house of Ahab. We're going fast here. It's got to ask and answer the question, who is God? That's theology. It's got to ask and answer the question, how do we know stuff? That's epistemology. It's got to ask and answer the question, where did we come from? That's cosmology. It's got to ask and answer the question, who is mankind? Who is humanity? That's anthropology. It's got to ask and answer the question, what's right and wrong? That's ethics. It's got to ask and answer the question, how are people rescued from the state of things not being right? That's salvation. It's got to ask and answer the question, what's our purpose? That's teleology. And it's got to ask and answer the the question what is mankind's end that's eschatology it's got to ask and answer all those things if you notice we're answering all of those in this series called life and teaching creation is how we develop the framework of a cosmology or an answer to the question where do we come from and our cosmology helps us ask and answer the questions of theology and knowledge man ethics salvation and purpose and what the end looks like they're all intertwined so Christians are wise. We're very wise if we're going to be in the public square and do it well. We're wise to reset back to creation as taught in the whole Bible to address these questions at the foundational level. You need to begin with creation. Gabe and I were having this discussion this week as he's had a chance to be home and we were talking about some social issues and we were both discussing how it's vital that we just simply go back to creation to begin to address the issues. Not from a sociological perspective. Don't start there. That's to get off on a side argument. Go to the main point. Creation, if you begin there and you begin with how God reveals himself and what he did in creation, it becomes evident through God's revelation what reality is based on what actually exists as taught in the Bible. An example, if you dig up a set of bones 5,000 years old, you can determine scientifically whether or not that sucker has an X or Y chromosome. 
and whether or not that creature could feel food on its face. And all the women are giggling. And all the men are like, what are you talking about? The Y chromosome cannot feel food on its face. And the tunic, if it were still intact, likely had a stain on it and the creature never knew it. Right? You can, if you go back to creation and just look at what God said, then match it with what exists, know what reality is. We go back to creation. Creation will not lie to us because the Bible says it tells us of the glory of God. Psalm 19, 1 to 4 tell us the heavens are declaring, they're speaking the glory of the Lord. So we reset to creation. We ask and answer some of these basic questions to develop a robust worldview. Don't get caught in the tangled web of social contagion and peripheral manufactured arguments from a dark kingdom that distract us from the reality of creation and created intent that actual biology and real science will actually always support. That's number one. Number two, God, the triune God of the Bible, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is the God. And he alone created all things and all beings from nothing. And he alone is to be worshipped. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we've taken time to define who God is. He's the triune God of the Bible. So we believe God, the triune God of the Bible, is the God. And he alone created all things and all beings from nothing. And he alone is to be worshipped. Part of Moses' intent, and yes, we believe Moses penned the first five books of the Bible. Part of Moses' intent is to prepare the people to enter a land that was full of the practice of evaluating and giving into and elevating fallen supernatural spiritual beings and elevating them to the status of someone that is to be worshipped. And he wants these Israelites who are already familiar with Mesopotamian cosmology to know who the creator is, who the God is. So that they will worship correctly. Because you're going to tell them in the Ten Commandments, you're to have no other gods. and Don't even make an image because you're going to get it wrong. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And Moses wants them to know who this God is. So that they don't fall into the trap of these fallen nations who are worshiping these supernatural creatures. The Bible makes sure we understand that nothing in heaven or on earth shares eternal status with God. You are not an eternal being. You have a born on date. You will exist forever, but you are not eternal. Spiritual beings in the unseen realm are not eternal. They have a born on date. They will live on forever, but they have a point in time in which they did not exist. The only one that the Bible tells us is eternal in nature is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one God who created all things. And we learn in Hebrews eleven three by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Hebrews eleven three is a foundation scripture for us that introduces creation ex nihilo. And that's a word you can find in Christian studies. It means from nothing. And this belief that God created from absolutely nothing is absolutely key for the Christian to keep God distinct from his creation. And the reason this is important is, and absolutely crucial, is we are to never ascribe worship to any other being because there is no other being that is eternal in nature other than the God of the Bible. And so therefore, if matter is eternal, if dirt is eternal then it shares a status that only God has. 
and therefore is to be worshipped. And by the way, there are worldviews who do that. You can find that in the Far East. Matter's eternal, and my task is to become one with the matter and finally escape this cycle of birth and death, birth and death, birth and death, and finally reach nirvana. But the Bible teaches that there's only one God who is eternal, and He created everything that exists, the supernatural beings in this world, and us as humans, and all of created order. It did not exist, and by His Word, He spoke it, and it existed. It has a born-on date. And the Bible gives us that so that we understand there is only one being worthy of worship, and His name is Jesus, because He alone is eternal. And that starts in creation. Creation from nothing teaches us of the great Christian truth that the Lord is God and only the Lord God is to be worshipped because he alone is the creator God. Number three, God created all things very good. Very good. Genesis 1.31 is huge. It says God saw all that he had made. What God? Jesus. He saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. So when the Lord looked at all that he created, he called it very good. In fact, he, he precedes verse 31 with Genesis 1-4, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21 and 25. And he said, he did this and it was good. He did this and it was good. He did this and it was good. And we got to the end. He said, all of it, very good. This is huge. God himself declares his world to be very good. Creation's good. And there's nothing in creation that is innately bad. This is important because it preserves for us the good of nature. It preserves for us the good nature also of all the physical and spiritual world. And the God-given gift of vocation and domains and in society that sin has wrecked. So when we understand that God created everything very good then we start to recognize something's wrong because things aren't always manifested very good. And so we instantly begin to see there's a problem. But the problem isn't creation. The problem is something else has happened. All of creation's good. And so because all of creation's good and God is working, we're going to get to this work of salvation and creation and how they work together. We understand that the renewal work of the kingdom of God is the saving of people and the restoration of creation to its pre-sin state. Because it's all good. God's not wasting his creation. He's going to remake it. And he is using us in that process to remake it, which is why vocations are holy. Because the kingdom of God is supernatural and the kingdom of God has come. He is actively supernaturally working in the world through the hands of his church, which is his body, to bring all things, Colossians 1, 15 to 20, under the reign and rule of the eternal God, Jesus Christ. Because it's all good. In fact, we will learn that nothing is to be rejected because it's innately good when it's made holy through the word of God in prayer because there's nothing innately bad. It's all good. Sins wrecked a lot of things but it's not innately bad. You're not innately bad. You have a sin problem if you're apart from Christ, but you're not innately bad. Your flesh is not innately bad. It's got a sin problem, and Jesus can fix that. <laughs> when you die and are buried in the earth, when he raises you, sin will be gone. 
And it will be everything pre-sin that was made to be. There's nothing innately bad, it's good. Part of the fallen dark kingdom's mentality is for us to treat it like it's innately bad and to be rejected. That's the dark kingdom, that's not Christianity. Part of the Christian's work is to steward this really good creation to the restoration of all things back into the sovereign rule of Jesus by his authority and power. So I just ask this question here. Who should lead the charge, if this is true, who should lead the charge of technological advancement and do it in a responsible way? Should it be atheists? Should, who should it be? How about the people who have the Holy Spirit? Hmm. The problem is some of the most brilliant people on the face of the planet have sold out their vocation for ministry. As if creating sustainable food and income and technology is bad, not holy. No, it's called stewardship. It's called good management, right? DNR, it's a holy job. Not only do they get to fish for a living and hunt for a living, they get to make sure all of us can fish and hunt. That smells like Genesis 1 and 2. Isn't that awesome? Like, I might go legit apply for a DNR job and sign Nora out, boys. Because what, what a great gig that is. Right? Who should be on the tip of the spear of taming creation? The descendants of Adam and Eve filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Come on now. Yeah. If that don't fire you up to make sure you use your job well, nothing will. Don't let politicians rob us of the good of human advancement and the comfort and help and advancement of great human and global achievement while preserving creation for some political ideology that has robbed what actually innately belongs to God and us and pit us against one another. That's the dark kingdom. Christians are not to be recruiters for political parties who pander to us for votes. We represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Creator, the Creator God, His name is Jesus, and we're on His agenda. This earth is His, not theirs, and it's ours in co-regency with Him, and our task is to manage it as the people of God, subservient to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, because it's His creation. And He created us to be His co-regents, isn't it? really close to like meddling in people's affairs. I'm going to stop. Number four, God created by his word and his word determines a thing or a being's meaning. Now this one's going to be a little heady but you're going to have to hang with me because this is important. God created by his word. We've read that already. We're going to read it again in Psalm 33. God created by his word and his word determines a thing or a being's meaning. Listen to Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Psalm 33, 9. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God spoke. And by decree, he created. God used words. And by the sheer fact that creation exists by his speaking it. 
His definition of a thing or a being's existence is the definition. God's word interprets what creation is. After God created light, we read in the Genesis account, and the Bible tells us this, that God called the light day. In doing this, God establishes a system of language and meaning as a means by which the true nature of things is to be expressed. As a result, we don't get to assign meaning to things God himself assigns meaning to in creating them. That's not our task. The only thing God let us name, he let our Father name some creatures. But in that naming under the authority of God before sin, those creatures by name expressed God's decreed creation of them and defined them. God's creation with language also means that we get to create with language. Now follow me for a second. We cannot create like God from nothing. I just realized the typo in my notes. It should say we cannot, and I wrote we can. That would be sin. So I'll need to go correct that later. Just called it. We cannot create like God from nothing because we are not God. But we are creators of things with what he gave us to work with in the creation mandate. We get to take raw material and make things with it. Houses don't exist because people can't create. Bridges don't exist because people can't create. God gave us, by his decree, things. And then sent us to go manage them. And then we get to create. So, so, so in language, in God using language, we get to use language to do amazing things. As image bearers, what we do with words either creates life or death because that's how God decreed words to be used in his using language to create. This is why Proverbs 18:21 should not be a mystery. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Why? Because we are image bearers of God. And when we say words that are full of life, there is a creation of life around us. Not ex nihilo, we're not God. We are limited, born on date creatures. But when we use our words biblically, they bring life. When we don't, they bring death. Because God established language as a powerful tool. The enemy knows this, which is why the enemy uses words we use and defines them differently. Devil's in the details, folks. Which is one of the reasons the first thing you need to do when you're having a discussion in the public square is determine the definition of words. Because if we use words the way the dark kingdom uses a word... We become an emissary of death. But when we use a word and it's meaning the way God created it to be used, we then become an emissary of life and then you're going to get punched in the face. Just like Paul and Silas delivering the slave girl. Next thing you know, they're in prison. Well, what did we do wrong? Well, you went after the dark kingdom. So God created by his word and his word determines a thing or a being's meaning. Male, female, image of God. God determined that 
no one else. Everything else is a sociological contagion. It's not biological, it's not scientific, it's sociological. And it's a dark intention against God's created purpose to stop Genesis 1, 26 to 28 from being done. You think the doctrine of creation isn't played out in the public square? I would argue it's the chief fight. Because if you define creation and you don't do it biblically, you've taken everybody away from Jesus. You define it right and you're going to take them to Jesus. Number five, God's creation and salvation are intertwined. God's creation and salvation are intertwined. I gotta just do, I'm just going to read John Frame and his systematic theology, page 189 to 191. It's a little, it's huge. I'm just going to read it. Then I'll comment on it because I couldn't say it better than Frame. So I'm just like, let Frame say it. God's creation and salvation are intertwined. So when we study creation, we're also studying salvation. Follow me. Follow this. Salvation is of the Lord, Jonah 2 9. Since creation is such a vivid revelation of God's lordship and yes it is we should expect significant parallels between creation and salvation and of course scripture does not disappoint that expectation the Genesis creation narrative written by Moses reflects and anticipates God's redemption of Israel and Egypt I'm gonna cry Ted Gummit God commands all the forces of nature he brings light to the earth as he later brought darkness to Egypt he divides the waters of the earth as he later divided the waters of the Red Sea. He makes the earth teem with living creatures as he later inundated Egypt with frogs and gnats and flies and locusts. He celebrates his creative work in a Sabbath rest as he later called Israel to celebrate redemption from Egypt by keeping a Sabbath day. That's why stopping is vital. It's a celebration of your salvation, not just rest. That's, that's a different sermon. That's not in his quote. That was a comment, parenthesis, back to the text. Back to my notes. In both creation and redemption, God displays himself as the Lord of all the earth. Creation, redemption, and judgment are similar events requiring the same sovereign power, authority, and presence. Boil all that down for you. This is why Paul will refer to our salvation using Isaiah's language in Isaiah 65, 17, when he says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, guess what he's going to say? Is a new creation. <laughs> when you start seeing these arcs in the Bible, you can't unsee them. It'll radically change your life. If anyone is in Christ, they are made new. They are a new creation. Genesis 1 and 2. He remakes you from the inside out. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. And that right there also anticipates what he's going to do on the last day. It's what Revelation 21 is depicting. That on the resurrection of the new heaven and the new earth, he will instantly remake and make new all things broken by sin. And the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven to be here among us. And he will be among us. We will be with him. We will have been raised and remade. And we will have Eden all over again with no sin. Wow. That's awesome. And so therefore, creation and salvation go hand in hand. 
The old has passed away, the new has come. Verse 18, everything is from God who's reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, for he made him who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Salvation and creation are linked. So that what happens this morning, if you heard that message and it had effect, supernatural effect, and something just shifted in your soul and you don't know what just happened, you just got saved. That's what just happened. God gave you the gift of faith and now your job is to simply receive it and say, okay, ain't no magical form. Nobody can wave their hand over you and do a magic trick. It don't work that way. There's no card to fill out, no magic thing. If that just happened, you just got saved and he just gave you his Holy Spirit and he remade you into a new creation. That's exactly what just happened. Because God's creation and his salvation are inextricably linked. And he's given you his Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing that that will come about on the last day. Number six, God is distinct from his creation and thus he alone is to be worshipped. No object or being, despite their amazing created glory, is God and creator. And none of them carry all of his attributes. God communicated. He gave some of his attributes to humans. We're made in the image of God. And he gave some of his attributes to supernatural beings in the unseen realm. But none of us in the unseen realm or in the seen realm have all of God's attributes. We have a born on date. In other words, there is no one like the Lord God. He alone is God, and He alone is to be worshipped. This means no part of creation, whether beings or objects, are to be worshipped. Exodus 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, and any likeness, and anything in the heavens above, on the earth beneath, or it is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am Yahweh your God, and I am a jealous God. He's completely unique. He is the creator, and creation screams his glory, and he alone is to be worshipped. Number seven, God created the spiritual world. Psalm 36, and I just found another typo. Dad, gummit, that makes me... Like, just a little note. Like, when you write a psalm down, it's not plural. It's Psalm 33, 6. Not Psalms 33.6. That's like saying I'm going to Kroger's and Walmart's. Which is fun, and I do that on purpose, just to, because that's what you do when you're from Silver Creek. You make everything plural, but you don't do that in writing. And I'm just so embarrassed. It's Psalm 33.6, not Psalms 33.6. So when you're quoting Psalms on your social medias, see what I did there? Do it Psalm if you're doing, if you write all 150 Psalms, then it's Psalms. Anyway, sorry. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Genesis 2, 1 declares that the heavens and the earth and everything in them were finished within God's creation window, and he rested on the seventh day. So all created beings, beings of all kinds, and inanimate objects are completed by the end of the sixth day. The word host is used in the Bible most of the time to refer to supernatural beings, sometimes called angels, and they're called other things, and we'll talk about that when we talk about angels and demons here in a couple weeks. And they use a bunch of other words in the Bible to describe these supernatural beings. They were 
created. Luke 2 verse 13 to 14 gives us an insight into the use of that word host when it tells us that a multitude of the heavenly host appeared praising God and saying glory to God in the highest, right? And so God created the spiritual world. So therefore supernatural beings of the unseen world are created by God and they are subject to God. And it's in this realm that the rebellion of Genesis 3 started and multiplied to humans and is still in play right now, even in this room. One of Satan's greatest lies is to make you believe that none of the activity of the dark kingdom is affecting you or causing you any problems or even is real at all. Naturalism was one of his greatest strategies. What we understand and take away at the surface level for today is that the spiritual world was created by God and therefore it is subject to him. And in Jesus and in the establishment of his kingdom, he has secured the subduing of the rebellion in that realm and the end of those who oppose his rule in that realm. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When Jesus came and established his kingdom, he broke the authority of those powers and rulers. Therefore, Paul will tell us, he will tell us, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these rulers and principalities and powers and rules of wickedness in the heavenly places. And when Jesus spoke to them, they trembled and had to obey because the kingdom has come. And all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him and he has deputized us in that authority and said, now go and make disciples of all the nations because you have my authority. Listen, we have not grasped the authority of the power we have in that realm and in this realm until we begin to recognize it, take hold of it, and subdue it in the name of Jesus. That's weird Baptist talk, but it's Bible talk. And let me just say this, because this has been stewing in me for a couple of weeks. We're not going to let Reformed Calvinist crazy people rob us of a good belief in the sovereignty of God to an nth degree. We're not going to let charismatics rob us of the Holy Spirit. We are people of the Bible. And if the Bible teaches it, we're going to believe it. Now, we need to understand it rightly, but I want you to understand that we fight a spiritual battle, and we can't let our people who take this stuff off the rails rob us of the heritage of the Bible there is a fight to be made in this realm and we have Jesus authority to subdue it but you can't be a victim of it you must exercise the fruit of the Spirit where you exercise self-control and you lean into discernment and you recognize moments where there's heaviness and you fight against it don't just receive it that's ah, not in the notes, but free. Number eight, God created Adam and Eve. We read in Genesis 1, 26 to 28 that God made our first parents, Adam and Eve. God's order in creation is to make mankind his image. And that image is male and female. Genesis 2, 18 to 24 records for us the very first wedding ceremony in the history of the world. The Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper corresponding to him. And the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Oh, God, there's so much. Your task as an image bearer and a subduer of creation and putting names and vocabulary on things is powerful, which is why it's life or death. Be careful what name you put on something or somebody. 
what Adam discovered is there ain't one like me the Lord working in that moment in his image bearer that's right so the Lord God did this amazing thing he caused him to fall asleep and put a deep sleep on him took a rib out of him and he fashioned that rib into woman and he brought her to him and he sings bone of my bone flesh of my flesh I will call her woman because she has been taken out of man this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh God made woman to complement man and he created her out of man God made male and female to be married and inside of that marriage multiply and rule over the creation with him as co-regents God himself performed the first wedding in Eden and he gave the first bride away as the father of the bride to Adam this is why by the way we do some things in Christian weddings and by the way which they do them in pagan weddings not realizing they're innately Christian and we've let them have them they are ours the passing down between two halves of a covenant Genesis 15 you ever wonder why in churches that are traditional there's a single aisle on two sides and if you notice there's the bride's family on one side and the groom's family and who passes between the two halves husband and wife two becoming one flesh like that is out of the Bible and we have let the world have that without fighting for it I'm on my soapbox Gender and identity and function are determined by God in creation, not us or any sociological contagion or pressure from dark forces that want to propagate the rebellion of darkness in creation. It is a created issue. Do not look past Genesis 1 and 2. It's in the manual. Number nine, God establishes our purpose and the scope of our purpose as humans in creation. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Verse 28, God bless them, said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And subdue it, rule the fish, you see the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God didn't say, I bless them, multiply, and fill Rome, Georgia, and be happy to stay there. No, no, no. Multiply, fill the earth. This is why we say glocal. God establishes in creation Jesus' great commission in Matthew 1. 16 to 20, you've heard this before, you've been here long enough, is Jesus restating what he gave us in Genesis 1, 26, 28. We were created to steward creation with God and our vocational giftings. We were created to steward the whole of creation, all nations. Thus, the Great Commission is all nations. The Great Commission is healing. And it's proclaiming the good news of Jesus for salvation and restoration. It is both and. It is not either or. We heal and we proclaim that Jesus Christ has come near to you and offers you salvation. You do both. Don't pick one or the other do both that's what Jesus said to do that's what he gave us in Genesis to do it's a created order issue he established our purpose it is all nations it is vocations and it is to heal and to preach Jesus Christ as Lord number 10 God created all things for his glory number 11 is the, the conclusion God created all things for his glory so that you know we're almost there I'm not going to hold you in perpetuity God created all things for his glory. God tells us in his word about inanimate objects glorifying him. You ever read that? God tells us that inanimate objects worship him. 
Psalm 19.1, Psalm 56, Psalm 89.5. There's a list of them there. You can go look at them. But Psalm 19.1-4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech. And night after night they communicate knowledge. Wonder why? Because they were spoken into existence. Even inanimate objects are screaming out in their existence of the glory of Jesus. Hallelujah. There's no speech. There's no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out in the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. How do we know inanimate creation speaks? Because other worldviews worship it. And a fallen heart looking for something to worship will latch on to something that it enamors. Which is why it's vital you get to them with the gospel. It's vital you get to them with the gospel. Don't let cold, dead Calvinism tell you that, well, God will get it done. People, tell, people accuse me all the time of being a Calvinist. I don't understand why. I've had to start actually saying, I ain't a Calvinist. I don't baptize babies. I believe the state and the church all be separate. I am a Baptist. I believe in the sovereignty of God the way the Bible teaches it. But I ain't no daggum Calvinist. Sorry, so just take that. If people tell you, you're a Calvinist church. No, we're not. Those are downtown at the Vatican. That's not us. Sorry, that was mean. Lord, I apologize for being mean to the Vatican. Forgive me. That was, that was mean too. And that was mean-spirited. I'm sorry. You've got to get to them with the gospel. God has ordained a means. And that means is your mouth and your hands and your feet. And if you don't go, if you don't go, you will miss the glory of being involved in what you were made to do. He has made you to be the means. He's made you an ambassador. So you've got to get to them with the gospel because they are going to latch on to whatever their heart enamors in sin. And if it's not Jesus, they will go to hell. Inanimate creation is declaring the glory of God. We even see it that Jesus is coming in Jerusalem and His disciples are saying things that if Jesus isn't God is blasphemy and the religious leaders know it so they tell Jesus tell them to be quiet and Jesus says if they're quiet these rocks are going to start talking and you talk about freaked out then we see this beautiful scene in Revelation where these unfallen supernatural creatures called elders are worshiping the Lord glorifying God all creation tells the glory of God therefore we end with this conclusion God created all things for his glory and even inanimate creation an unfallen creation gives him praise therefore we conclude with this three rivers church worship as I just mentioned Revelation 4 9 to 11 records these creatures falling down before the Lord and worshiping him the reason it tells us is if you go and you look at Revelation chapter 4 verse 9 through 11 here's what they say verse 11 worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you 
Listen to their reason. For you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. What's their reason for worshiping? He's creator. So even for them, their worship originates in the reality that they were formed by him and for him. And that's where their worship started. Wow. So three of his church start there. Because he created all things and is restoring all things, we glorify and worship the Lord because we now have hope that creation, new creation, will overtake the curse of sin. We can worship today in hope. Maybe you walked in without hope. Maybe you walked in tired and weary. Listen, life in the kingdom's hard because we're in a real battle in creation for creation and for our saving. And it's wearying. It's hard. Maybe you walked in hopeless. That darkness of defeat is the curse, not the faith. Don't give in to it. Fatigue is real. Coming to the end of your rope is real. Being worn out is real. Being beat up is real. Needing a break is real. And our intention this morning is to see that the Creator has put all this together and salvation is going to overtake the curse. It will overtake the curse. It's coming. Don't let go of that hope. New creation will overcome the curse of sin. Fight the curse of sin that wants to suppress joyful worship with the hope that what God created is absolutely very good. He's restoring all things back to that state and He's restoring the people and the kingdom of God will overtake the darkness. So would you bring that worship to the Lord this morning? Would you bring it? It belongs to Him. It's His. Don't give it to another object. Don't give it to another person. Give it to Jesus. So here's what we're going to do as the band's coming. I'm just going to ask you to get quiet before the Lord and wait on the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Listen, hear, and obey. I'm going to pray. When these guys are ready, they can lead you in worship. Let's spend a few moments waiting on the Lord. Lord, we want you. We don't want all of your gifts. Those are awesome when you choose to give them, but we want you. Because you are better than life. And we say that by faith, knowing that our flesh is going to come against that in some manner. Mine already is. But I believe by faith that you really are better than life. And we don't, want, we don't need a hard lesson <laughs> to believe that. We, we just need you to make it reality. Help us to exercise our faith to believe that and live in that. That you're better than life. So we want you. In any way you choose to glorify your great name in our midst, we want to receive it. Repentance of sin, obedience, all manner of things. Holy Spirit, it's your time. We want to submit to you, bow the knee to your good purpose this morning. Pray for healing in souls and hearts. Pray that you would come against 
dark veils of lack of understanding or clarity and purpose and mission and call, vocation. Pray that you would come against tension between people. Pray that you come against misunderstanding and miscommunication. And your kingdom would come and your will would be done right here in these next few moments as in heaven. So Lord, we wait on you. We wait on you because you are worth it.